Each one of us is a perfect crystalline snowflake. There's no one just like the other. Stories, however, remind us that we're all just made of snow. I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This is Don Hall. This is the Peculiar Journeys podcast. Um, We're at the penultimate uh, episode. This is episode 12 of 13 for my first season. And uh, so tonight, today, is going to be, uh, you know, just one more, just a story uh, that I wrote a long time ago. Um, We're we're right now in Chicago. Well, everywhere. Everywhere in the world. It's Pride Weekend. And in Pride Weekend, it is an opportunity for those who have been marginalized because of their sexual orientation to kind of strap on some assless chaps and some rainbow shit and go nuts. Just absolutely show themselves to be unafraid of the hateful bullying that they've probably encountered most of their lives somewhere in America and somewhere in the world. And so this is a, a great opportunity. I wrote the story. It, I wrote the story a couple years ago for, uh, I can't remember. It might have been a story club that I did it for. But uh, the thing that fascinated me, and as, and as I've gotten older and I've reflected upon this story is, and I, I hope it comes through in the story, I really do believe, especially right now, we are more polarized in this country than ever before. At least maybe maybe not ever before. I back that up. Tom Hanks, uh, when he came to Chicago, made the comment that, uh, that we're as polarized as Vietnam or maybe not as much, but close to it. And, and I think probably during that time period, it was pretty polarized. The youth versus the old, conservative versus liberal, um, an absolute intolerance for one another's perspectives and worldviews. And my belief is this, uh, it's so easy to look at those who perhaps voted for Donald Trump and say, yeah, they're all racists, but I don't think that's helpful and I don't think that persuades. And I believe, I really believe down, and when you hear the story, I think you'll understand why. Deep down, I believe the bigotry is simply ignorance. It's just, uh, it's, it's ignorance and ignorance isn't evil. Ignorance is just that, a lack of knowledge, a lack of experience, a lack of wisdom. And those are all things that you can gain. You can learn new information. You can get new experiences. And ideally, if you are surrounded by positive experiences and, and, and you're, you're really self-reflective, you can learn to be a more inclusive, better human being. That's 
that's my belief. I, I taught seventh and eighth grade for nine years here in the Chicago public schools and in teaching kids. I don't think adults are really all that much different than kids. We're just bigger and hairier and uh, have to do our own laundry, but uh, well, most of us do. And I, I just... I can't get past the fact that you can't write people off because they are intolerant. I think it's about finding a way. And it's not about empathizing with them. It's not about agreeing with their worldview, but it is also not about attacking and uh, shaming because I don't, I don't think those things change minds. And I think minds have to be changed for tolerance to be universal. Bigotry is a natural extension of living in a planet, on a planet with seven and a half billion people. You're bound to stereotype. You're bound to group people into, into negative perspectives. You're bound to learn to hate very easily. I think you have to learn to hate. You can unlearn it as well. So this is just, sorry, Stood on a soapbox. Sometimes, you know, right here in my apartment, there are no soapboxes, but there are always mental soapboxes that I have to... If you've ever read the Literate Ape uh, digital magazine, literateape.com, you understand that standing on a soapbox is sort of a very natural place for me. I like it. I like getting up on that soapbox and holding court. It's just what I do. Um, so with that in mind, uh, the piece that uh, we're going we're gonna to listen to today uh, is uh, a very simple piece. It is called Hate is a Cold Wind. In college, I was a raging, unapologetic gay basher. Still recovering from Christianity. I voted for Ronald Reagan in 1984. And I would sit in the cafeteria at the University of Arkansas holding court on how disgusting gays were and how they should all be shipped out to a gay island and left to sodomize each other. I had my entourage of college boys laughing at my angry rants, my hate-filled comedy of intolerance. I was like a young Rush Limbaugh gathering ditto heads. One day, one of my closest friends, Billy, came to my dorm room late at night. He'd been drinking, but, you know, so had everybody else. And he came in without knocking, swayed the center of the room. I can't be your friend anymore, Don. I've been thinking about this, and you suck. We're no longer friends. Go fuck yourself. What? Why? I'm gay, you stupid fucking asshole. I can't listen to your shit anymore. When I sobered up, I was stunned. He really was one of the people I counted upon as a very close friend, someone I'd take a bullet for. So it was amazing that I didn't know he was gay and I never saw my words effects on him. And like a two by four smacked across my face, it hurt and woke me up at the same time. In spite of the fact that he did not try to shame me, I was deeply ashamed. It was a bit of a life changer for me in terms of my views of the world, how systematic bigotry was proliferated in small moments every day. And I decided that A, I needed to readjust my perspective and be that I didn't want to be complicit in these small moments anymore because they add up, gathered to one another like mercury droplets, forming an unstoppable flood of humanity. Billy and I never reconciled, but I stopped my rants, took to eating lunch alone to think through my attitudes. There were plenty of gay bars in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and so I would go out on nights, buy a beer, Look to a stranger and say, hi, I'm Don, I'm a homophobe, but I don't want to be, would you talk to me? Now, granted, about half the time, people just get up and walk away. I had a few drinks thrown in my face, but every now and again, somebody would talk to me, and we would talk for hours about 
what my problem was. Um, I wanted to change, and so I did. I mean, I ask questions that now seem naive and insulting, but they were necessary for me to see the world from a different angle. Well, I graduated college, I moved to Chicago, and the broad range of diversity in the people I met and cared about expanded exponentially. I was on the road, becoming less of an asshole. About five years later, can you even see, kind of, shut up and let me drive, yeah? Truth was, I could just barely see 15 feet in front of my crappy aquamarine geo metro through the epic blizzard we were navigating through. Along for this ride of sheer stupidity was my wife, she of the question, my buddy Joe, and a fellow stand-up comedian, Bill Leff. This was before smartphones, Google Maps, and readily available GPS, and the roadmap was completely useless, and what we found out later was one of the most severe snowstorms in 20 years. In some part of my primal brain, I was terrified that we were going to die in this fucking shitbox car. Earlier in the week, Joe had called me to see if I wanted to go up to a comedy club in Wisconsin, which meant I would have to drive. Joe had been a professional stand-up years ago and had given it up to improvise in Chicago, and I met at Second City. I got hired to do this, but I haven't done a routine in a long time, he said. I can do 20 minutes, and then you can come up and we can do some improv. What do you think? Well, I thought it sounded like fun. Drive up a few hours to Wisconsin, have some drinks, watch Joe do a set and join him on some, you know, some on-stage make-em-ups. It was rare that I got to improvise outside of the confines of class at the time. It was rare that Joe asked me to perform with him. So I was in, and Deanna, my first ex-wife, wanted to come along too. Now, Bill was the headliner, which meant that Joe opened for him. He had been in Major League and Major League Two. These are baseball comedies starring a young Charlie Sheen that did pretty well at the box office in the early 90s and went on to be one of half of WGN's Bill Leff and Wendy Snyder show. Turned out he was a genuinely nice and humble guy, a professional working comedian, and he offered to help out with gas in spite of the fact that he wasn't getting paid much more than gas money to begin with. The snow started before we left. It got worse and worse the further out of Chicago we went. The heater in the metro was broken. We could see our breath inside the car and my feet became like blocks of frozen chicken breasts on the end of my shivering legs. And with the onslaught of non-stop white and wind and dark, the idea of coming out to a fun night at a comedy club began to look more and more like a death sentence. The only conversation was limited to, how far is it again? And maybe we can just get a hotel room so we don't have to drive back through this tonight. Four hours of near silence with more tension than I thought sustainable, we found the place. It's called the Comedy Shack or the Comedy Hub or some sort of late 80s bullshit. Parking lot was filled with trucks and pickup trucks. The Geo Metro was decidedly out of place. The shack was packed as we, late of course, stumbled in half frozen and numbly grateful to have made it at all. Deanna and I were ushered over to a table on the right side of the stage. Joe and I briefly decided to do a fill-in-the-blank scene when he called me up to perform. Essentially, you know, we get a suggestion to start the scene, and then whenever one of us wanted an activity or a noun, we'd gesture to the audience. They would yell out something, and we'd immediately incorporate it into the scene. The MC introduced Joe, and he hit the ground running. Despite being partially frozen, Joe was up for the task. Except for one thing. Joe's a smart comic. 
In fact, I think he's one of the smartest, most thoughtful comics I know. He uses wordplay and observations to create his funny. One example I can think of goes something like this, and this is with apologies to Joe because I'm sure it was funnier than I recall here. Superheroes aren't real. If they were, it might go like this. I'm Thor. Really Thor, like right here. I think it's funny. Joe starts a set and he isn't winning the crowd over with his Thor-type jokes at all. And then I notice the crowd. 60 to 70 trucker dudes with some girlfriends or barflies, all in flannel, almost all bearded, wearing trucker caps and drinking whiskey and beer, like a mountain man competition or a meeting of the rednecks of the Midwest chapter in Wisconsin. Joe, on the other hand, is a thin, bald city guy with glasses. His voice is slightly nasal and his delivery is dry. Even if he's not on stage, he would have completely stood out in a room as being different. A Geo Metro in a parking lot of 18-wheelers and pickup trucks. Ten minutes in, and Joe's scrambling. He's getting heckled. He's doing his best, but they simply aren't into it, and things are getting a little ugly. These fuckers have been in the storm, too, and we're not in the mood for Joe's jokes. Well, about... 12 minutes into his 20-minute set, Joe suddenly decides to introduce the improv, and I no longer want to play. I'm caught in a crossroads. And then I realize I'm dressed in flannel, have a beard, and I'm wearing a ball cap. I blend right into the crowd. I could just ignore his invitation for me to come up to the slaughter, but I can't do that to my friend, and I can't imagine the ride back if I did. Don't do it, my wife whispers. I have to. I whisper back. I get up on stage. Trucker crowd gives us a pause in the grumbling and heckling. Joe gets a suggestion, the beach. And we start our scene. A minute into it, I say, buddy, you are a real... And I hold out my hand and wait for the audience to respond. Faggot! Yells a drunken voice. The crowd roars in approval. And I'm caught in another crossroads. I do blend in with this crowd. I do look like one of them. Hell, I used to be one of them. In their eyes, I am one of them. And in their strange, angry, homophobic worldview, Joe is someone they want to see suffer because he is a faggot in the most shitty and pejorative sense of that, pejorative sense of that slur. So I look at Joe. We both know where this is going. And Joe nods. Resignedly. We're there to make these misguided, ignorant fucks laugh and buy more drinks. And in the moment, trying to figure out how to spin this is too daunting for either of us. Buddy, you are a real faggot, comes out of my mouth. And I get a huge laugh. And the dirty, hateful game is afoot. For the next six minutes or so, Joe and I are stuck in a scenic game that simply involves my character doing and saying horrible things to his character at the behest of a grotesque subset of humanity. I'm suddenly playing a role that I had shed years before. Who I'd become and who I was had never been so apparent to me, but the words came easily, like riding a bike or lighting a mash, match. It's funny how that is. Like going back to high school, 
for the reunion and suddenly finding yourself acting out in the same ways you did as a kid and not really understanding or seeing an old girlfriend and instantly embracing the old roles you had played way back then. We finished a thundering applause and at the moment I feel like I want to vomit. Joe won't look me in the eye. I seem to recall that Bill got up and did a bit better by accessing jokes while far less hateful still capitalized on the stereotypes of the world this room simmered in. As soon as Bill finished his set, there was no talk of hotel rooms anymore. We were absolutely desperate to get back out into the storm and risk our lives getting back to Chicago or just away from the comedy shack in Wisconsin. The ride home was far colder than the ride up, even though the storm had mostly passed. It was a heavenly reprieve, however, from the ugly cold of intolerance and the sad reality of my own complicity in it. Of my complicity in another small moment, a snowflake of a moment in the burgeoning blizzard of bigotry. Change is a struggle for the best of us, and finding warmth in a cold fucking world can be hard to achieve. But you still have to look for it. The most intolerant are still humans and can learn. Sometimes you have to run from the cold in order to find shelter. Sometimes you have to experience the storm to appreciate the hearth. And there you go. That's the podcast. Uh, We've got one more episode coming up next Monday, and uh, that's going to be an all Lawrence Volbrecht episode because I just want to spend a little time with my dad, and you get that opportunity if you tune in and listen. couple plugs couple plugs. I don't like to usually use the podcast for plugs, but since it's timely, I'm going to go ahead and plug. Uh, July 18th is Identity Flip at the G-Man Tavern. It is uh, $10, and it's wonderful. It's a great show um, where we take two Literate Ape takes two uh, or six, but two different opposing, maybe not opposing, but two different identities. They each write stories about their identities and they flip their stories. So they're presenting uh, the other identity. And it's actually a really, I think it's a lovely show. And then on July 20th, we are reopening the sickest fucking stories I ever heard. It is five people playing poker for real money, sitting on stairs, sitting on on the step on the stage, playing poker and telling the sickest fucking stories I ever heard. It is a really fun, believe it or not, a really fun, really riotous time. If you want information about that, go to www.literateape.com/events. On July 23rd, I'm starting a six-week storytelling masterclass. This is not for first-time tellers. Uh, This is for people that have had a little bit more time on stage and want to just get better. It's called the Woodshed Storytelling Workshop. We start July 23rd. You can uh, buy all six classes in one shot, um, or if you want to do drop-ins, uh, they're $25 per drop, and it's $20 a piece if you if you order all six in advance. If you can just come into a couple, just show up uh, and bring $25 cash. You can find out all the information about that by going to literateape.com slash workshops. All right, I hope you enjoyed the Peculiar Journeys podcast today. And if you dig what you heard, do me a favor. And then nobody ever does this shit, but go online, go to iTunes, and write a review. 
I don't care if it's a couple of words or if it's a couple of sentences, if it's one star or five, um, take five, just really give me a favor, take five minutes, give me a, give me a little, uh, give me a little love or a little hate, whatever you want to do. And then share the podcast with someone, if you think they might enjoy it, cause this is fun for me. And I, hopefully if you're listening, you're enjoying it enough to, uh, listen all the way through peculiar journeys is produced in my apartment on the third floor above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. Everything is recorded on the sure motive app on an iPad pro using the sure MV 88 microphone for more episodes go to itunes or to donhallchicago.com rock on